I'm working with three new principals this year, and they're all first-year principals in new schools, and two of them are actually in new districts. Going to a new school is never easy, not for a new principal, not for a new assistant principal. However, most of you listening have either gone through that experience or will go through that experience or both. Today, we have an experienced principal with us who's also in a new school this year, and she's going to help us think about and figure out some of the work that goes into leading in a new school. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. I've been growing leaders and future leaders for over 30 years, and through my own experiences and through working with hundreds of other leaders, I've learned that school leadership is a journey that occurs in three phases. Urgent leaders spend their time completing tasks, but intentional leaders invest their time building systems. However, strategic leaders create time by growing people. In 2018, I founded Strategic Leadership Consulting to help make this journey more enjoyable for leaders like you. Through my daily email, monthly microjournal, online community, my upcoming book, and of course, this podcast, I keep you company on this journey and provide you with actionable ideas and tools to live and lead better today and tomorrow. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Sam Searcy, the principal at Owen High School in Swannanoa, North Carolina. And Sam is here with us today to unpack moving to a new school. Sam, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. We have a long history of walking our leadership journeys together, and it's going to be really fun to have you be able to walk this podcast part of the journey. So welcome. Thank you. It's good to, to join you this morning. Yeah. Um, so we go way back and some of that may come out in, in this next bit, but can you tell us briefly how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I was a, a history, high school history teacher for 12 years and started my um, uh, principal journey through assistant principal in the MSA program at Western Carolina, which is where you and I met. Um, since then, I have been an assistant principal, principal of a middle school, principal of another high school, and now principal at Owen High. And in 2017, completed my um, doctorate with um, Western Carolina as well. Congratulations. Thank you. So we always like to start with celebrations. What are you celebrating today? Today, we are celebrating the fact that we're holding it together. For the last two weeks until the holiday break, um, kids are in a good mood. Teachers are doing okay. The flu bug, the cold, the it's a little bit of COVID. Everything is hitting everybody hard, but people have smiles on their faces. And so sometimes you just celebrate the fact that we all made it to work today. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> so let's begin with the present moment. You came to Owen back in August, I think. So that's what, about five months, four or five months ago. From the perspective of being the principal in a new school, over the past few months, as you settled in, what were the three wisest things that you did as a leader? And we want people to learn from your experience. You've got a lot more experience than a lot of the people listening. So don't be modest about this. 
think about what you really did well, where you nailed it and it worked and it helped in the transition. Sure. Um, I think any new leader in any setting, especially in a school, always will go to the first thing I did was listen. And I, I think with this transition, I really had to dig deep to embrace that and not just kind of give it lip service. Um, Owen was the last school where I was a teacher. So folks in this building were my, my, my peers, my coworkers, my teacher down the hall, the, the people that knew when I was fudging on my lesson plan or that my kids weren't exactly tame. Um, so, but I was a different person too. I'd been gone for 10 years. My, my journey had gone in a completely different path than I expected as far as becoming a principal at that time. So, so the listening was bigger than just walking in and getting to know the school. Um, I set my summer up to meet with each department chair individually. I've learned over the years that group meetings are wonderful if you're trying to get a big message out. But until you sit with an individual and ask them important questions and give them a chance to just say what's on their minds, um, you you won't get to the meat of what's going on. So so those individual meetings with department chairs separate, I had no other part of my AP team with me. It was just me, department chairs. And I asked them, what's really good at this school? What should I not touch? And where do you think we need to to start if we're going to make any changes? And and those were important conversations. And then taking that information, bringing that up in the whole school meeting that started in August has helped a lot. That way I didn't come in with an agenda. My agenda was set based on those meetings. There have been some other things that have come up where I've also realized my assumptions about this place. And and I've used those words, this place a lot this year, it's kind of been the theme so that we all realize that every school is different. Every community is different. Every staff collectively has their own nuances and things they they want to see happen. Um, So there have been other things that didn't come out in those initial meetings that I've had to listen as well. So just this first semester, not making any big changes taking it all with a grain of salt and um, really reminding the whole staff as well as my admin team, that's what we're doing. We're not going to knee jerk. Um, That's helped a lot. Yeah. I'd say the second thing I did that I'm, I'm proud of is focused on the facility itself. So things that, were um, not not crumbling, not falling apart, but really being mindful about why do we have three cracked windows? Why that we're a, a modern high school and a, a able to fund things county. Why do we have cracked windows? Um, just that put the focus off of teaching and learning, I know, but it also let people know my commitment to, again, this place, that it it wasn't just me coming in and, and tearing up their classrooms, that we are going to focus some on what we do. Made a few safety changes, the entrance where students come in, um, 
had had zero pushback on that. One of the kids even said to me, it's about time that it never felt safe the way we were coming in the building. So that focus on facility helped me open some conversations to some other things that didn't become how you're teaching, how you're presenting, how our kids are doing. It wasn't about data. It was just a, a visual perception. So when you say open, open conversations with people, what do you mean? Um, again, going back to that listening, um, asking questions. So why are we doing it this way? Or, or what, tell me the background. Cause I'm, I'm not sure I know all the conversation or, um, Owen is a district that I'm, I'm privileged to live in this district and always have. So it's easy for me to say, we, well, 20 years ago, we did it this way. And in some places that won't fly, but here it almost helps start those open conversations because I can say my jumping off point is 15 years ago. This is the conversation we were having. Tell me how the conversations moved on since I haven't been here. Um, it's not a finger pointing. It's more of a, okay, my timeline stopped here. Tell me what's happened in the meantime or, or what, where the direction has gone. That's helped a lot. What I love about that, Sam, is that you're not just focused on right now, but you're understanding that there's, there's a history. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, I don't know if, if you're sensitive to that and have filled that in because you do know what came 20 years ago. I, I don't think I usually hear principals talk about that when they come into a new school. It's how are we doing things now and why do we do it that way? But you've added that extra layer of how did we get to this point? And I would think that that could really, one, provide some good insight, but two, that communicates something to teachers. When you say, how did, how tell me how we got here, you're interested in, in their history and the why behind where things are now. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. And then the third thing that I focused on, which um, my advice to new principals would be, be careful about this third thing, <laughs> um, was athletics. Um, you know, high schools, we are, we are tied to that Friday night football game and that community effort and go war horses and, and wearing the right colors and, and all things. But we also run the risk of stepping into that's all we care about. And, and we sometimes principals get bashed for you only care about the football team or you only care about the basketball team and, and test scores are not good or your athletes are getting special consideration and no one else is. So when I say athletics, it, it was a situation here that I knew there needed to be a little love and a little bring the community back to the building. And athletics was the quick way to make that happen. So I forged some, um, or I should say rekindled some relationships that I knew had existed previously with youth leagues, um, with our, our feeder schools. There's another unique scenario in this district. Um, 
all but one of the principals in the entire Owen district are new to their building this year. Wow. And the one that is not new last year was her first year in the district. Um, and several of those folks are brand new principals. So one of the things that I was tasked with as the high school principal is, is kind of helping raise these new principals as well as my own personal admin team and the team in my building. So that sense of community was something I could easily weave through the elementary schools, the middle school, um, and then to the high school. And athletics was my way to do that quick. And in the fall, we had a community day. Our athletes went and did little pep rallies at all of the feeder schools on the same day, read to the kids, our football team read to students. Um, and then that night we invited all of the the parents and in the um, elementary students who wanted to, they got in free to the game and, and they were on the field when the team ran out. So even though all of that on the surface may feel very, oh, you only care about one sport, it built a community pride. I had parents reaching out to me through private messages and just in the grocery store. My kindergartner can't wait to come to the high school. So I think it's just that sense of um, our, we our um, graduation rate is not where I want it. That's one of the areas that kind of hurt my heart when I got here. We were 87% and I'd like to be well above 90, 95%. So if we can start things now that get kindergartners wanting to graduate from Owen High, I'm all about it. So, so again, I say that that was one of my focus areas when I came in, but that may not fit for every school or every new principal, but it's definitely what we needed here. It's been wonderful. When I, I appreciate the caution on that, um, I, I think that one of the, the the universal part of that that you talked about was rekindling those relationships, whether that's in the community, with parent groups, with youth league, uh, with the other schools. So no matter what level you're at, you're still going to have these relationships. Wow. And and so as you're listening to your teachers and hearing what they're saying, figuring out where those key relationships are in the community and beginning the same kind of dialogue there and the same listening is is critical. And I think the other thing that you hit on is that issue of pride. I mean, we on we all want to feel good about the place that we belong. Mm -hmm. And and in in working with the athletics, you communicated both of those things. We belong here, right? And and we have pride in what we're doing here. So yeah, may not elementary school may look different, but we still want to build those relationships. We still want to communicate that we belong here and that there's pride in doing that, no matter what that looks like. Right. I think I also have to mention, we also earned two state championships in the fall sports um, season. Our cross country, men's cross country team and our men's soccer team, both are the number one two A team in the state. Wow. So there's a lot of hype and a lot of energy and it makes for a good reason to get out there and celebrate and to get people excited about Owen high. Yeah. So we could joke, you're good for five years now. Good. What a state. I got ring. I'm going to get rings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you do football, you'll be a legend. 
Uh, well, we're, you know, baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, but I also like how you've acknowledged that's that's the front end piece, right? That's not the end piece. Right. And, and that was contextual to where you are. I want to jump back at the listening piece really quick. Um, I think it is really hard for principals to do that. And and everybody knows it or everybody should know it. Like that's a common thing, right? Don't don't make any changes, go in, just listen. It is the hardest thing to not jump in, especially if you're going into a school that can benefit from new leadership and you're seeing, whoa, this is a challenge. Now, if safety issue, as you identified, yeah, we've got to deal with that right now and communicate this is a safety issue. <clears throat> but you've doubtless seen some other things and you've probably got a list of, whoa, these are things we have to do. How how have you been able to discipline yourself to just keep listening and not jump yet? Um, I, I think it comes from experience. You know, there are times where you want to bring all the the stakeholders to the table and tell them what needs to happen. We're going to do it this way. I know what's going to work. This is it. That never works. So being mindful is really the key. Realizing that everyone is coming to this, this place, coming to this game every day with a, a teacher heart. They, they love their kids. They, they're passionate about what they do. They're passionate about their content area. I strongly believe no one could do this job if they didn't like people and kids. I, I just, sometimes you may have to help remind them of that, but they, they like being here. Um, so I, I believe strongly the way you bring about change is to plant seeds. Um, sometimes people want to see your final expectation up front, but I've learned from experience that final product needs to be collaborative and that ownership has to come from, from day one. So instead of me saying, we're going to do discipline this way, I don't know what the heck's been going on here, but that's not it. That will never fly. So instead, for example, we have smart lunch. And Smart Lunch is one of those, like, worked for a time. It's kind of gone out of favor. It's still working in our building, but there are some pieces to it that that I feel like we could do better. Um, I laid the groundwork with committees, with school improvement team, with our um, data collection committee, and said to them, I could easily walk in and rewrite our playbook for Smart Lunch. But then it's my playbook. It's not our playbook. And what I'm learning, the the principal that was the administration that was here prior to me was here for 11 years. And there are, there's a lot of conversation around folks not understanding why or how or what they're doing, feeling that that was the, the glue. The administration was the glue. And, and I love that, but I know that's not sustainable. I'm not going to be here for 20 more years. So we need a system that that is true to this place and true to our school that we can move forward with. So instead of me handing them the directives, we've done, I've asked the teachers to collect data. I created some Google forms, asked them to come down to smart lunch in the cafeteria, just some, uh, some empirical, empirical, just 
Hey, what are we doing? What does this look like? Feel like, what are the kids doing? What are the adults doing? What's the interaction? And then the committee has asked teachers to report on what does tutoring look like? How many kids are attending? And then I'll provide the discipline data, how many referrals are happening during that hour of smart lunch. And my goal is not to make sweeping changes tomorrow, but to look at this for the entire school year and create that change over time this school year so that we start next school year even stronger than where we are now. Um, Initially, I was asked by teachers Um, you need to tell the kids what the expectations are during smart lunch. And I said, great. Can you tell me what those expectations are? (laughs) And the answer is, will you set those expectations? No, no. So they wanted me just to, you know, bring the kids in for a class meeting and say, do this, clean up your trays. Don't be mean. You know, I said, well, until we, we internalize those expectations, I'm not going to give a laundry list of them. So it's been good conversations um, around something that we, we as a school believe in, but about what have, where have we fallen off? Where are our gaps? What do we need to correct? What, what do we need to tweak? Sam, there's so much here. I just want (laughs) to unpack just in that and just in that piece. And, People that are listening, please, 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 if you don't take anything else away from this episode, going in and telling people how to fix things, Sam, you said it two or three times, it never, never works. You can be the smartest person anywhere and have absolute clarity. It will not work because people don't own it. And and the other thing you said... You may not be there and you're not going to be there in 20 years, I hope, (laughs) but you may not be there in two years or three years, but there are teachers that will be there. Mm -hmm. And, And we've got to get away from the principal comes in and sets a vision and steers the school. We've just got to get away because principals are lasting two to five years and, Mm -hmm. but there are teachers that are going to spend their whole careers in this school. And, and I love that you are taking time to hear what people, what their aspirations are for Owen high school. And then you're helping to bring those aspirations um, to life. Well, no, you're helping them bring those aspirations to life so that the the improvements and the growth in the school is going to outlive your tenure. And that's the mark of leadership. It's not what happens when you're there. It's what happens when you're gone. Agreed. Uh, you're doing it. I'm, I love this. So a couple things, I think I just said it's sustainable, right? Because right. they, they are, are developing it. And I love when they told you, Oh, you need to go tell them in a way they're handing you, they're trying to give you a monkey, Right. This isn't working. We're having problems with our, because what they're saying is we're having problems managing these kids here. You manage them for us, but that's not your job to manage smart lunch behavior. So they tried to give you a monkey and you said, this ain't my monkey. (laughs) You, you take the ownership in it and you tell me what the expectations are. That is, that is great. And it's just such a perfect example of assistant principals. Don't take people's monkeys. 
because they will want to give them to you over and over. But that's a way to flip it. And it's not that wasn't a cruel thing to do. You're helping them. Right. Helping them clarify their expectations. Right. The other another thing you talked about was in, in collecting the data. This is one of the huge powers that leaders have is that we can we can generally collect the data, we can determine what data is to be collected, and then mm-hmm. we choose what data gets shown to people and in what form. So I'm not saying that we should be manipulative in any way, but data tells a story. And how you present the data and which data you present is going to determine what story we focus on. Correct, correct. Yeah. And, and so when we just throw a ton of data out, It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Nobody knows what the story we're trying to tell. So when we see something and we're concerned about it, take time to gather the data because if it's important enough to address, it's important enough to gather data about and then know the story that you want that data to tell and present that to people and then see where it goes. So, so powerful. And I think it's one of the least... Um, discussed, least appreciated powers that we have is the power of information to, mm-hmm. and to use it for good. There are people that withhold information and use that power in a very negative way. But the positive version is we're collecting that data for people. Right. So they right. can then have good information uh, to help make decisions. And then the other thing that you just said is change over time. And I, I may take this to a place that you didn't mean, and you can rein me back in and okay. tell me, but there are lots of things to improve in every school. There's mm-hmm. more than we can address. And and you see, we'll lose smart, smart Lunch as an example. You see some opportunities to make it better mm-hmm. that aren't going to take a huge amount of effort. And, and so we're doing this preliminary work And then you said change over time. So we're not going to rebuild everything, but we're going to start to make these incremental changes. And what that means is as soon as you get through this initial phase, collecting the data and determining what to do, you're going to be able to make some little tweaks that are going to show immediate results. It's not going to be earth shattering, but there's going to be immediate improvement. And so teachers are going to say, whoa, we did this process. We looked at the problem. We looked at the data. And you know what? Things are better. They're not completely fixed, but they're better right now. Oh, okay. Well, what's, what's our next step? So now they're sold because going back to motivation equals value divided by effort for a little bit of effort, they got immediate value, right? So they're sold. And there's going to come a point where smart lunch isn't perfect, but is it good enough? And we can now move that energy into another place. And that's the other thing I love about this incremental change and and really a strategic action cycle where you're going A to B, you get to D and you're like, okay, we don't need to go to Z. D's good. D's good enough because there's there's this other thing over here that we're going to take care of now. So I'm just not rambling, but but making these four points about sustainability change over time, using data to tell the story, and then not taking other people's monkeys. And I just want listeners, gosh, just rewind this part of the conversation um, because it's so 
it's so rich. I just want people to go back and listen again to what you said about how you're doing this. It is so, so rich and powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Improvement science, right? Yeah. <laughs> Data before you make a decision. Yep. <laughs> that's, but that's such a wonderful example of it, right? Mm-hmm. Of how it, how it can really, really work. Well, and for example, too, with, with that, with the smart lunch scenario here, the only data we had was discipline. Um, if I look at it from, from my chair, from the top down, and like I said earlier, my graduation cohort rate is not where I want it to be. The teacher's response to, to that comment from me is, oh, but we exceed um, growth every year. We're a top-notch school. To me, something doesn't line up. So we may be a top-notch school, but why are our kids leaving us without a diploma? And if if the the core of Smart Lunch is tutoring, there's maybe something wrong with that tutoring process. But for me just to hop in and say, do this during the remediation time, do this, do this, do this. Again, it's me being giving a directive. It's not them internalizing it. So by collecting this data themselves, my hope is then we can move forward to those conversations about the tutoring time, the support time. Um, not just the discipline. Yeah. Well, and again, if you went in and made the change and you're focused on the tutoring time, but that's not where they're focused. They're focused on the discipline issues. Right. So you can make all the changes in the world and bring out, you know, the best curriculum ever and the best techniques for how to do tutoring. They're not paying attention to that. Right. So you have to pay attention to what they're paying attention to and, and get that fixed. And now they can take that next step. Absolutely. Correct. Oh, Wow. Well, colleagues, this brings us to the end of part one of our interview with Dr. Sam Searcy, and it has just been an incredible interview. I think this is one of our top three or four episodes that we've recorded thus far. So I hope you actually consider going back and listening to this again, because there are so many things in here that Sam says that are just foundational, powerful practices, but that in some ways go against what we've always been taught, especially the idea that we need to work with the people who are invested in the problems and not just come with solutions. Our solutions don't matter if we don't work with people to identify what their problems are and the directions that they think we can go. So at this point, you have a little bit of an intentional choice to make. If you do nothing with what you've just heard, then you've spent the last 30 minutes or so being entertained. But if you choose to do something with what you've heard, then you will have made an investment in your own leadership. If you already have a clear idea of how you can apply Sam's wisdom, that's wonderful. If not, let me offer three possibilities. First, the big takeaway in this episode is that we need to listen to people and give them ownership and responsibility for their own challenges. Instead of thinking, let me tell you what to do, think about asking, what's the problem? And what outcome do you want? And then listen. If you can work with people to identify the course of action that helps them get their desired outcome you've helped them to be fully invested. 
Second, forward the show link to a colleague and say, you've got to listen to this and I want to talk about it with you. Or third, identify the one big takeaway or question that you have from this episode and share it with me. You can share it as written or record a little audio or video message and just email it to me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of our interview with Dr. Sam Searcy. Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. Remember that you can walk more with me by subscribing to my daily leadership email and quadrant two, my monthly micro journal. And if that isn't enough, we can walk further together in Apex, my virtual paid community for assistant principals. Apex helps you network with other APs and participate in group coaching with me. You can learn more about Apex and my other offerings at my website, frederickbuskey.com. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Cheers.